It's been said that nothing is more financially educational and entertaining than the total financial hour, except possibly two total financial hours. <gasps> you don't mean? Yep. The Total Financial Hour with host Arif Halaby is now two hours, Sundays 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Oh my gosh! Great Scott! Learn about your financial power. The Total Financial Hour, uh, two hours with host Arif Halaby, Sundays 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. here on AM 870, The Answer. The Total Financial Hour is sponsored by TFS Financial Insurance Services and Total Financial Solutions Inc. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halaby, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategy. Strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power. Total Financial Hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab. Hey, welcome to the show. I'm Eric Hallaby. Appreciate you being with me. This is the Total Financial Hour. It's coming to you. Look, we're talking about your family's finances. Coming to you for for a couple of big reasons this week. Some big news is taking place. I, I kind of want you to not have missed it. So just in case you did, I'm going to cover it again. Because, and for some of you, this is going to be a surprise. But we now know that President Obama and his team of people that he put in place... In the, the the civil servants, right? The I have a union. You can't fire me. I have a grievance. I have my rights. Right, right. Those employees that are called government employees in the federal government system that are four and five and six layers deep, right? You you can fire the appointed person, right? The political appointee and maybe even the assistant director. I mean, you can move those people around, but the civil servants. The government worker types that have been there for 37 years, who've been there for four presidents, six presidents, both political parties. They couldn't care less who the president is. They have their mission. They do what they do. Right. In case you've missed the story, I'm going to tell you again. A friend of mine was in the state legislature here in California. And during the time that he was in office, he came up with, when they needed Republicans, by the way, now they don't need them. Now they're worthless in our government system. Really, just worthless. I mean, they're, they're nice people. I didn't say they weren't nice people. But as far as any functioning, you know, stand up for anything, no. They're, they're the Vici, basically. I mean, they're trying to look like they're independent. But what do they do? You want no power? You want to sit on zero committees? You want to just sit there with the office in the corner? Next to the broom closet and the, and the ice maker and the, and the restroom? So, so you hear those... Uh, Noises all day long. Yeah, we're going to move you because the Speaker of the Assembly and and the Senate President, they they get to decide where your office is. Right. So when you're a Republican, you either play along like the Vichy of France. If you're not sure who that is, look it up. But basically, he and the uh, the the the, I was going to say the enemy, the other side, the Democrat side got together and they said, hey, listen, we need each other. 
I'll give you this if you give me that, the old horse trading, right? You give me this, I'll give you that. So they had a great system in place where at the end, because of term limits, right, they both knew that they weren't going to be there forever, so they wanted to get some sort of legislation done, something to make a difference, to prove that, that they could do something. And also, that, listen, they, they believe it. And maybe it was good legislation. I honestly don't even remember what it was. But this is what I do know. He went to both. They both went to their chief of staff, chief legislative aide, chief of staff. And they said, hey, here's what we'd like to do. Draw it up. Right. Because it has to be written up in formal language has to go through the process. But the both uh, both folks from the same committee agreed to it and they came to an agreement. <laughs> well, well, the the staff said, we're not putting our name on that. He said, what, what, what do you mean? Excuse me. You work for me. They said, we're not going to draft it up. One, because there's term limits, but not for the staff, right? The California staff, there isn't term limits. They have 30-year careers, and they've worked, they will work numerous government jobs deep inside of uh, of the state house, deep inside of Caltrans, uh, uh, energy, whatever, EPA, health this, education that. It's just like a company, like Boeing hires, right? When when General Motors, Toyota, they hire, you go and you, you oh, okay, I'm going to work for this for two years. Okay, I'm done with that. I'm going to go try over here. And you build, you, you worm your way into systems. And each time you get promoted, you're getting a pay raise. And you're worming your way into IOUs and you know me. And when they do that, it's the staff that runs the show. You didn't know that, did you? You thought it was the elected officials because, quote, term limits make a difference. No, they don't. It's a bad game, period. You might like it. You might think it's a, those entrenched Lindsey Graham types. Okay, yeah. Joe Manchin. Mm-hmm. Olympia Snow. Yes, they've been there forever. And they come up with good things now and again. I mean, they're not evil people. I think they believe what they believe, right? I don't think they change that. But what I do think is that you forget that when you give term limits to the elected person, the one that you put in office, ultimately, they're not the ones running the show. It doesn't take, what, maybe five years? Think of any other job. Five years, six, six, seven, eight, a couple of terms. You work for this congressman or, or this congresswoman. You work for this state legislature, this state assemblyman, a state, state assemblywoman, this senator, state senator. When you work for those people, it's the staff that hold the power. When, when my friend shared this with me, I was shocked. I thought, you got to be kidding. Just fire them. He said, we can't. They have a union. Oh, my gosh. I go, what? He goes, well, you know, we can kind of let them go. And then they just go down the hall and they work until the our term is up. And then they get they worm their way right back in. He goes, they're not going to go anywhere. We can't put a blacklist on them and, and kick them out the door because they've already made friends with everybody. They know, just like you know, people that work with you. And, and he reminded me, he said, remember when you were a police officer? I said, yeah. He said, look, you had this guy that you worked with in probation, and then this person when you went back to work, uh, when, you, when you did undercover work, you remember that? Oh, yeah, I trusted that person. Oh, yeah. Then remember this person goes to the academy, and then when I got a job at the academy, and then, oh, I remember you again, and then five years becomes 10 years, and now everybody knows you, and you were my classmate. Oh, you got promoted before me. Hey, you were a good guy. 
I, I want to bring you up. Uh, can you can you come and work for me? Work in one of my departments? You know, I I'm a lieutenant. I want you to be my sergeant. Right? I want I'm a sergeant. I want you to be my training officer. And you hire the people you like. That's just called normal people you trust, really. But where does it really go sideways? Is this term limit thing? Here's why. Because you all are worried about horse trading, a pork barrel, people adding stuff to the bills. Got it. That's a problem. I agree. Stop it. You don't get to add these things to the bills. Right? Here, here's what we're passing, and then it stays that. But both the state and the federal government, when they put legislation on, and then you vote for it, and I vote for it, comes out of committee, it, it passes the House. Let's say you're a congresswoman or a congressman. Passes the House. You vote for it. It goes to the conference committee, right, where the Senate passes a version of it. Not exactly the same, but close. The House passes a version not exactly the same as the Senate, but close. Then they put a team of people, equal Republicans, equal Democrats, equal House members, equal uh, uh, U.S. senators. They sit on this. Maybe it's five, five and five. I don't know. Whatever the number is. And they sit on this committee and they hash out the differences between the bill. I'll give you this if you give me that. Well, your version says age 74 is when the required minimum distribution is. Our version says age 73. And so they they, they say, well, we'll, we'll make it age 73, but we'll make it age 74 at a later date. But you got to give us this. OK, we'll give you that. And they come up with a plan. Then it comes out of conference committee and congressmen and women. Remember uh, Senator Kerry, one of my least favorite human beings, most hypocritical, dishonest person. Yeah. Remember him? Uh, He's some sort of climate czar, some sort of hypocrite now. Yeah. What he said, and he was honest. It was true. And I think he was the one, if I'm uh, correct me, if I'm wrong. Where he's the one that said, I voted for it before I voted against it. It sounded dumb. But that's what he was referring to. He he was right. I mean, he was exactly right, actually. I mean, there's no two ways around it. But he sounded kind of illiterate. I mean, he didn't explain the system the way I'm attempting to explain it to you. He didn't go over the process of, hey, listen, I voted for it in the temporary, in the preliminary round, and then by the time it came out, I didn't like the things that were in it. Which, if he didn't like the things that were in it, would mean that we probably would like the things that were in it. But in any case, I believe it was him, Senator Kerry, and that's why. So, when you have term uh, term limits, it eliminates the opportunity... For somebody to go, you know, dang the torpedoes, as they say, put all, burn the ships, go full all in, and let's take a look, and and I'm going to stand up for something, because the people at home will will stand up with me. Because they're they're, uh, on a cost-benefit, cost-benefit analysis, pros and cons, they want to keep me here in the House or in the Senate. That's what happens. Well, where I share this with you, why why I share this with you is because the process of trying to fix this trillions of dollars of debt and the state of California that has billions, I want to say we're probably close to, I mean, I'm going to guess, but I think we're pretty darn close to 
with a T stands for Tom and the police link 1.1 or 1.2 trillion dollars in debt when you add the pension funds, when you add state uh, bonds, county, local, municipal districts, nearly a trillion dollars in debt. Some reports are coming well in to a trillion, maybe a 1.1. Somebody has to pay this back. Well, right now, let me get make sure I have the number correct. Right now, we have a net net. That means some people coming. We're counting illegal immigrants coming. And we're counting people leaving. So who leaves? Right. The, the, well, we get the famous, the Mark Wahlbergs, the Dean Cain. They've left. A lot of them have left. But there's a lot of that middle class folks that are saying, I just want a better quality of life. I just can't see paying the taxes living here. Well, what is the net net when you add illegals and other people? So look, some people are transferring here. Their jobs are, are here or they left and they like it here. They, they prefer it here. So they move back. I mean, that happens. Intellectual honesty will tell you some people return. But net net in the last calendar year. So 2022, that's the last calendar year we have. 940 people per day, per day, have left the state of California. 940. We think it's right around 2,100, 2,200 total. That means about 1,000 people move into the state. Most of those are illegal immigrants. They're not migrants, and they're not illegal migrants. Migrants come in, pick vegetables, save their money, take it back to their home country. Illegal immigrants come here and have no plans, generally speaking, to leave. So when you have the World Bank and other organizations... Right, the bond uh, fund system, the bond traders. You start to see stock market uh, folks, right? The the, the experts. You're, you're looking at pundits, which are people that comment on this stuff for a living. The the flows of dollars, moving dollars around. You look at facts that are that are one dimensional. In other words, these are facts that are just on a piece of paper. When you look at that, it will tell you that a recession is around the corner. Now, there's no way to know 100%, like, oh, 100%, but it's some estimates of 70%, some will say 80%. I'm going to venture it's probably right in between. Let's call it 75% chance, meaning for every four times that we have an economy that looks like ours, a stock market that looks like ours, recession, inflation, uh, banking issues, job reports, income, producer price index. When you look at all of that data, three out of four times we go into a recession. That's scary. Now, not if you're 32, going to retire in 28 years. Eh, write it out. Keep keep going. But if you're in your 40s, late 40s, let's say, you're in your 50s, certainly your 60s and 70s, it might make sense to have some part or or even a majority of your money out of the market risk. 
If that's the case, uh, then maybe we maybe we're the right fit. For some of you, we're not. I, I'm okay with that. There's a lot of good guys and gals out there, right? The reason that Larry Elder and, and Dennis Prager chose to work with us isn't because we were the only one doing what we do, not because certainly we're the only one that would want to work with them. Many, if not most of the financial professionals on this station or any other station would love to work with Dennis and Larry. But there's a reason they chose us. You can always ask them. You can send them an email. Maybe they'll answer. I don't know. Right? It's important you understand that. Because there are a lot of good people. But who do you choose? Let me give you my phone number. 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. 888-99-RETIRE. 997-3847. Okay. When we are looking at the potential for a change in the economy coming forward, what is the percentage? A lot of you will ask, Arif, how much should I put in the market? How much should I put in safety? I always throw that question right back at you. And I say, well, what are you comfortable with protecting? And sometimes you'll say, well, I, I don't really know. I go, okay, how much money do you need to make each month come heck or high water? Meaning if we have a two-year or a four-year or a 10-year recession. All of those have happened in the last 50 years. If we have a decades-long recession and you need to make a certain amount of money each month, how much is that? And then we take into account other guaranteed sources. Now, I discount Social Security because right now Social Security is slated to run out of money paying you 100% of what you're supposed to have uh, by 2033, 34, right in there. So that means if you were supposed to receive $2,000 a month, when I'm doing my calculations, I count it at about, eh, about if it's $2,000, right around $1,400 a month. So I push back a little bit and I make sure, okay, I can have a little bit of this money. I mean, certainly $1,400 is not a little bit. And if $2,000 keeps coming in, if the Democrats and Republicans get together and they finally come up with a solution and everybody's happy, okay, fine. Good news, you have more money to spend each month. But there's only a couple of ways to get out of this mess. And I want to present to you really kind of both sides of it, because I think you have to have a realist, uh, realistic understanding. So the other day I spoke with my son, one of the, the smartest young men that I know, I think <laughs> not biased. And I asked him, I said, what do you think about illegal immigration? And of course, he had the, the correct standard answers. It's not good for sovereignty. It's not good for a nation's stability. It creates an undercurrent, if you will, a black market of dollars that are flowing. And it's not a healthy way to run a country. Okay. Now, why do I bring this up? Because I told him, I said, well, what I'm going to do is take the other side of the argument. You see, when I was in high school and college, Debate and intellectual discussion was not considered hate speech. Hurting your feelings is irrelevant to the facts of the conversation. You need to repeat that to others. Hurting your feelings is irrelevant to the facts of the conversation. Your, your, your feelings should be cared about by your sister, brother, mother, cousin, husband, wife. Kids, got it. You don't want to be a, a jerk 
on purpose to those people, right? But saying the facts, saying that that the trans hate crowd, the violent mob from Antifa, right, has become almost like a hired hit squad, the brown shirts, if you will, that that their job is to be this uh, upper middle class, and they are, white folks, and they are, from educated, quote, families and universities, and they are, that their job is to be the the strong arm version, and they hide with masks, they hide with hoods. Uh, and what's the difference? If they were white hoods, you would be angry, liberals. If if they were white hoods, you would say something. But oh no, they're black hoods, and they call themselves anti-fascist, so they must be good. You you find the irony in that at all? That because they're wearing black hoods. They're good, but if they were wearing white hoods, they're bad. How about both of them could be bad? Oh, mm, how about that? Call me silly. And so when you, when you hurt people's feelings, uh, so I told him, I said, son, I w- let me explain some things to you because I'm going to try to take the other side of the market uh, uh, of the argument, if you will, in the illegal immigration part of things. All right. Social Security is so messed up. That because they cap out the amount of money that a high income earner pays in Social Security, uh, off the top of my head, I'm just going to call it 160000 I think it's something like that. Uh, Social Security, uh, highest tag, uh, something like that. I want to say it's about 160000 uh, Yeah, we'll call it that. But why does that matter? Because if you make more than 160,000, oh, darn it, I'm right on. 160,200. Wow, Eric. It's a good memory. If you earn more than that, you don't pay any more Social Security. Your earnings, your, your tax on that, on those earnings, are gone. However, you pay a lot of income tax, state and federal. In fact, 43% under the last uh, renew uh, the review, 43% of the Californians pay zero income tax. Nothing, zero. Legal, illegal, 43%. That means four out of 10, you drive down the street, count those at a stoplight, pay nothing in income tax. So of course they vote for stuff for free because they're not paying for it. So I said, hey, son, here's what they're doing. They're trying to raise minimum wage. They're trying to get these people into the system. They're giving illegal immigrants fake, or now they call them real, social security numbers. Right? They didn't really care before. They, they, oh, somebody's using my social security and reported a lot of extra income. Well, if they withheld taxes out of it, well, social security didn't care. Income tax didn't care. And when if you try to get it back, you're like, oh, you guys said I, I paid this much. Oh, wait, did you really pay that? No, it's forfeited. Did you know that they, you forfeit the extra income, the overage in income tax that somebody using your Social Security number paid? So my argument is they are flattening out the income, taking from the higher wage earners, the higher income earners, which is often small and medium-sized businesses, they push that income down with higher minimum wages. And then that number is subject, ready for this, to social security tax, state disability, state unemployment, federal disability tax, 
federal unemployment, all of those taxes, the FUDA, SUDA, CUDA, right? <laughs> the 15, total of 15.3%, 7.625 for me, 7.625 for the employer. And they push that money down into that bracket. And what do they do with it? Well, I love this part. They will tax it for uh, Social Security. They will create revenue to fill the coffers. And because I think ultimately they're not going to pay out Social Security to the illegal immigrants. uh, Listen, some slip through the cracks, some become permanent. I get it. But most of these people, if they don't work 10 years, they just go back. Their goal is to build a store or a restaurant. Their goal is to build a house. So they send billions of dollars, in many cases not even being taxed, every single year billions of dollars are sent to overseas. Everywhere. Mexico, the Philippines, India, Sri Lanka, Zimbabwe, Kenya, Lebanon, France, Canada. They make whatever they can here and they ship it, the dollars, overseas. Well, you need to ask yourself, if they're doing that and the money isn't here, well, then will it ever be taxed? So my argument, right, again, playing the debate team to my son was, I think they're doing it to fill up the lower income wages, raising both minimum wage and having illegals that are going to work here. They're going to work for minimum wage or a little bit more than that. And the higher that number, the more they can add to the Social Security coffers. So if you have an income stream that's coming to you from the Social Security world, I'm going to count 70% of that. That's how I manage it. That's how I build uh, an income strategy for you without running out of money. All right, stay with me after the break. I'll continue. 888-99-RETIRE. I'm Eric Hallaby, plus your emails after the top of the hour on your place for news, talk, and information. 888-99-RETIRE. I'm Eric Hallaby. This is the Total Financial Hour. Stay with me. We'll be right back. About financial power, the total financial hour. Now Arab has a platform. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for staying with me. Arif Hallaby, the Total Financial Hour, your place for news, talk, and information. Hey, listen, uh, the goal for me is to lay out a plan for you, how, how we think, right, both as a firm and, a, and how I think individually. Uh, I bring up the, the illegal immigration, not because they're not human beings. Of course they are. Created in God's image. Yes. But we are not a nation when you can't control its borders, decide who's here, tax those appropriately. Right When you start shifting the burden of taxation to those at a much higher tax level, when I'm speaking of income tax and Social Security tax, by the way, then what you're doing is you're, is you're making it so very few people are paying for the masses. Now, here's what happens. Those people move. And when they do, they take the jobs with them. They take their employment with them. They take the spending. Right? Because they're going to spend money at the grocery store a bit more. People at at the fancier grocery stores, you know, they're paid more than the big chain grocery stores. You know that. 
And when they are, you understand that they that means they have more money that can be income taxed or if not income taxed, because maybe they're just low enough where it doesn't include it. It's still going to get Social Security taxed. So when those nicer grocery stores are visited and people are paying one and a half times or two times the amount of money for certain vegetables or fruits, the dollars go into the system. Those employees there are paid more money. Then guess what they can do? They can go out to dinner. They can go to a, 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 the theater, the baseball game. They can go to get their hair cut and dry cleaning. I mean, you understand it circles. The money just flows and flows. And when there's more money circulating, it's better for the economy. Because then many, many people can live on the same dollar bill. The higher the taxes, the more that money is stripped away and sent up to the state or the federal government. So you want the lower tax world. That's why the state of, uh, of Nevada is drawing the Mark Wahlbergs and the Dean Keynes and thousands of other Californians every single year, tens of thousands, in, in fact, and they're, they're leaving. Now, I hope they leave their politics behind, because why would you want to mess up a perfectly good state or city or county? that you're moving to, Californians. And if you're going to go, just call yourself a political refugee, right? That's what we, we have friends that move to another state. They said, yeah, we just tell everybody we're a political refugee. And sometimes they don't get it. He says, hey, have you ever been around a former smoker? And they'll look at you. Yeah, they're, the, they're usually the most anti-smoking folks or former drinker, right? A former smoker especially. They are, oof, they don't like it one bit. They fight back. So they, they will say things and do things to kind of keep you reminding that it's a bad idea. So my point is, people that used to be from California, you guys need to sit on school boards. Look, if, if you're part of the system that's trying to keep people here because you like it here, you have family here, I'm with you, right? I'm here. I, I don't like what they're doing to our state. I think you and I need to fight. You know, I'm not here on the weekends on purpose just because, uh, you know, I I prefer to work six or seven days a week. I I think it's important that the message gets out. I think it's important for you to fight back. Can you say Glendale Unified School District? When you listen to the way that those school board members uh, are treating their customers, their customers are not the children. The customers are the parents and grandparents. The customers are not the the school unions, the teachers union, the customers, or or heaven forbid the extremist, you know, left wing of the party. The customers are the parents. That's why you need school choice. Parents will take their kids out in a minute, and they'll take the money with them. Right? You guys need to sit on the school board. If I see a, an elderly person, I don't know, elder, 65 years old, if I see somebody who's eligible for retirement, that's, they don't even have to be elderly, just somebody eligible for retirement, and you're not sitting in school board meetings because you have grandchildren that are subject to this perverted, uh, left-wing, pedophile conversation. Right? If I see you at the golf course, but you don't have time for the school board meeting or the water board meeting or the city council meeting, right? If I see you walking into target and still shopping there, I was in a store the other day, grabbing a little quick energy drink. And I see a guy next to me with a bud light. And I asked him, I said, Oh, you bought bud light. And he looked at me 
I said, you know, the guy, the, the man that dresses like a woman who drinks the beer and, and they had the problem. I can admit English wasn't his first language, but he understood what I said. And he said, yeah, what am I going to do? I said, Coors Light. He's like, oh. Uh, when he left, I asked the guy that owns the liquor store. I said, hey, you know, I'm walking by, so I don't visit this place often enough to see any trends or anything. I just asked him. I said, hey, what are you seeing? He goes, oh, man, my customers don't like it one bit. We can't put up flags. We don't put up any kind of political speech. He said, you know what we do? I said, oh, what? And I kind of leaned in. He said, we sell sodas, liquor, and snacks. <laughs> and I looked at him. And I gave him a thumbs up. I said, exactly. That's exactly right. Nobody cares if you're a financial company. What you, Fidelity Vanguard, nobody cares that you have some sort of diversion, equity, uh, I say it wrong, equity and inclusion, right? Like you're supposed to have some sort of a conversation that somebody is different than their character. How weak are we? And if you see that and you're still somebody who thinks it's a good idea to be doing fun things instead of standing up, fighting, pushing back, having arguments, debating, who else is going to do it? That's my job is to get you in a steady stream of income. Look, our job is to keep your money safe. It's not to make you rich. It's not to double your money by the weekend. It's not to make it so that you have you know $50 million. No, no, no. It's to keep you from being broke. It's to make sure your money can grow over time. Some years we're going to earn a zero. Some years we're going to earn more. It's to give you a death benefit. So if you pass away, your family can earn some money. Sometimes we can even do that where that money is tax free. Right? So our job is different. It's playing defense with a little bit of offense now and again. It's playing defense with a little bit of offense pushing back against inflation. But I don't want you to think that the answer to your success is trying to pick the next cryptocurrency that's going to, you know, double by. by by the holidays, right? I mean, you have to understand this is your financial life. You have spent a decade or more, two, three, four decades earning this. You think somebody that's 37 years old who still has student loan debt is going to make you rich? They may, they may be very nice people. And, and most of the time they are. And probably many of them are listening to the show. I know when I was a new financial professional, I used to listen to the show 27, 28 years ago. 10 years prior to that, I was a trader. I was an investor. So I did it just for myself and you know, help my family and friends, whoever would listen, I guess. So for the first decade, I did it as a, you know, I guess, an avocation myself. It was a hobby. And then 27, almost 28 years ago now, I did it as a profession. I know that I listened to other people on different radio stations. That was my, my medium of, at the time and learned a lot from them. So let me tell you, you guys, if I can just talk to you financial professionals that are kind of stealing a listen, I, I'm okay with that. I learn from people. You can learn from me. Don't ever be, claim to be an expert in everything. Right. If you're a financial professional and you think you're an expert in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, REITs, ticks, fleets, real estate, uh, crypto. Oh, did you need a trust done while I'm here? Because I can also do your taxes in the back room. 
you might ask yourself, okay, so that's, oh, that's interesting. You got a team of people, six people, four people to do all those things. So who's the expert? If everybody's pretty good at a lot of things, I'm all right with that. But not for my life savings. Here's five grand. Here's a thousand bucks. Here's twenty five hundred dollars. You know, maybe I'll give it to my son in law, brother, cousin, uh, you know, daughter in law. Try it. Go play with it. Good luck. But my life savings to a thirty eight year old with student loan debt who drives an old leased car that's messed up, who has credit problems. Why would I do that? Right, So my, my point to you is this. I want you to understand that this is your financial life and we don't take that for granted. You worked hard for this. Don't let anybody practice. Don't let anybody play pretend with your money. I worry about that. Because a lady that came in this week had the problem. Hey, Arif, here's where I'm at. I said, okay, great, let's take a look. And when we took a look, what did we find? Well, we found that she had uh, $200,000 she put in to an account. Not a fan of it. Not at all. Right? I don't, I don't like the Jackson Liberty Met, whatever you call it. Not, not a fan of them. When you have a stock bond mutual fund and it's wrapped with an insurance company around it, well, you can go up and down and you pay fees in all of those areas. There might be right for some people. Sometimes the fees come with a benefit. I just yet to find somebody in which the benefit is worth it for them. Once they hear what the fees are, they go, wait a second. Seems like, seems like the fees are high. Well, here's her case. She put in $200,000 in 2010. All right. 2010, 13 years ago. 2010, she put in $200,000. Today, it's $332,000. So she had earned, she has earned $132,000. It's a great account. Money's in a positive. I'm happy. Okay, but, but what did it cost her to get there, right? Here's what you always should ask. How much did I put in? What is it worth today? And then how much did it cost me to get there? And if you hear the numbers and you go, I like it, doesn't matter what it's called. I, I, I'm okay with it. I like the risk. I like the numbers. I like what it costs me. I like the, the, the value. Great. But when you ask the question, how much did I put in? What is it worth today? And then what was my cost to get there? And you find out that you've paid $120,000 to earn 132000 that means together, the account made $252,000. The broker took about half and, and the company, right? I don't know how they distribute it. Depends on how new the broker is, what, what promotion level, whether they're called a, a vice president or not, since everybody's called a vice president. Right? Some of you forget everybody's a vice president at the firm. Right? When you think about that and you ask, okay, wait a second. You worked your whole life. This is your $200,000. Do you think anybody else looks at it every day or at least three times a week? Anybody? I mean, as far as the professional advisor, uh, financial professional, uh, 
manager, supervisor, anybody that's getting paid on your account of that hundred and twenty thousand dollars in fees, do you and costs? Do, do you think any of them looked at it three times a week? No. I'll help you answer that. I can't. I can't hear you back from the radio. How about? I'm just going to go long here. I'm, I'm just going to throw a hail mary. I'm going to say, do you think anybody watched it three times a year? Probably not. It's possible they could have reviewed it quarterly, three, four times a year. Certainly, probably once a year on an anniversary or when you call and say, "Hey, I have a question," or so it could be one or two times a year. Probably not three, but it could be. But now let's look at you, since you guys made the same amount, right? Do you think you probably looked at it? Hold on, once a day, or the market in general. Referencing your account once a week, probably, probably, certainly you're looking at it multiple times in a month. Why? Because it's your life savings or a big portion of it. So I just want to know, what did I buy? I just spent, if I'm Mr. or Mrs. You know, client, I just spent 120000 What did I get? I don't know. What did I get? Right, I know that if I go to In-N-Out Burger, I, I love In-N-Out Burgers. If I go there, I, I have it. I love them. I'm going to get a great hamburger. Uh, I know if I go to some other fast food places, probably not so much. Not my favorite. But there's a reason that that people line up. Right, some of these restaurants, some of these fast food hamburger restaurants, the one of them that I mentioned, In-N-Out, try to try to get there around noon on a weekend or noon on a, on a Tuesday. Good luck. There's a line of people everywhere. I don't know how many burgers they flip in a, in a day. A thousand, maybe 10,000. I don't know. But so many that they know tomorrow they're going to have the same. Why? Because it's consistent and it's a great product. So you will wait in line. That's a cost, right? It's a cost of your time. You will spend the money. That's a cost of your money because you know that you're going to receive a great, consistent product, whatever hamburger, restaurant, a chain you like. But when there's a company that takes your fees, your costs, and uses it to create advertisements, to bring in more money because that's the job, I, I worry about this. The heartbreak in her voice this week. She's like, Arif, I listened to your show for years. And I just didn't know, should I bring my stuff in? I thought I was doing pretty good. I have more than I started with. So I must be doing pretty good. I said, wonderful. Let's take a look. And she said, when I called the advisor, they told me I was paying $25 a year in fees. And so we called them up on the phone. We did a three-way call, called them up on the phone uh, in my office. And they said, uh, you know, I'm sorry uh, if your advisor told you it was $25 a year. Uh, it was 25 Now it's 50 But here's the good news. Because you have more than $100,000, we waived the fee. And she was like, yay. Yay, you waived my fee. And then I said, okay, what about the other charges? And she looked at me perplexed. Well, what do you mean? I said, well, ma'am, what's the mortality expense charge? Oh, 
Well, here's that fee. What's the writer charge? Got it. What's the administrative fee? What is the sub-account fee? And by the time we were done, it was 3.85%. Now, I share that with you, not because I expect you to know what 3.85% is, but there are really yucky accounts that are running at 1.5%. So this was four, three times? Three times the amount of costs. So please watch out, guys. We can do it for we did it for her. We can do it for you. You come in if if you want to do a Zoom call or a meeting. Triple eight ninety nine retire, eight 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 nine nine seven three eight four seven. Your emails are after the break, the top of the hour. Uh, let me give you my email address: uh, Arif A R I F Arif at tfswealth.com. Arif at tfs wealth stands for a lot of money. dot com. And I, uh, I did receive an email this week in which she asked me to not say her name. So that was, uh, we abide by that. That's not a problem. I'll give you a, uh, well, give me a middle name sometimes because I'm, I could run out of names. I might be using the same names over and over again. I do it as a, on, on purpose. You ultimately know. So when you tell me the fake name to use, it sounds kind of weird, but when you tell me the name to use, or I tell you, Hey, I'm going to answer it on the air. Uh, but here's what I want you to do. I'm going to call you Joan. All right. I'll call you Ellen. Okay. Call you Susie. Got it. So you'll know that I'm answering your email. Okay. Simple enough. I think what you need is somebody who specializes in what you need, not a generalist. It's kind of like going to the doctor and saying, you, you know, he says, well, you say what's wrong. And the doctor says, well, I don't know. I'm waiting for you to tell me what's wrong. And, and then you say to the doctor, well, listen, you're the doctor. Tell me what's wrong. And he says, well, that's not how it works, ma'am. How it works is you got to come in, tell me what doesn't work. And then I make sure you see the specialist, the expert in that field. You wouldn't go to a doctor and just sit there and smile and say, you guess. I give you 30 questions. Right. Remember that game? 30 questions, I don't know if it's right, 100 questions, 10 questions, 12 questions. You, you wouldn't play a game like that. But you would sit down, you would lay down and say, I have a problem with my ankle, I'm going to go to a foot and ankle specialist. I have a problem with my kidneys, I'm going to go to a kidney specialist. Right, when I had sh- uh, shoulder surgery done a few years ago, I, uh, November 19, 2019, I think. When I had shoulder surgery done, I went to, like most people would say, one of the top surgeons around. Everybody thinks they go to the top surgeon. They specialize. He's the best. Well, I hope he is. I hope she is. I hope she's the person that goes in and knows exactly how to tweak it. Here's what I did. Simple enough. You'll see the lesson. I went to the physical therapist that rehab shoulders. And I said, hey, I'm going to be having my shoulder worked on here. I'm going to have some surgery pretty bad says the MRI but I have a question tell me who gives you the best results in other words when the patients come into your physical therapy uh, location two and four weeks later six weeks depending on what it is I said for me it's shoulders so who is the physical therapist for their shoulders they say oh that's so-and-so over there I go to her and I said um, you've obviously been doing this a while. And she says, Oh yeah, I've been doing it for 20 plus years. Got it. I said, who is the surgeon? She tells me 
And guess whose door I knocked and said, hi, I'd like to have my shoulder worked on by you. Still wasn't a guarantee, but I got a referral from the right person. So, for example, if you're saying, hey, I want to make sure that my kids receive a great inheritance, you go to the beneficiaries. So you say, who do I know that has received a lot of uh, money? What products did you use? How did you inherit money? They should tell you things like, well, we are the beneficiaries of my parents' accounts and we received real estate, life insurance, stock market accounts that are not under an IRA, Roth IRAs. Those are the things to leave the beneficiaries. And they will tell you, oh, I didn't have to pay any taxes. You mean you had to pay taxes? You mean I didn't? Yeah. Nope, none at all. If your goal is to use the funds for long-term care, You ask a person who is currently receiving long-term care and financially able to pay for it. You say, hey, what products did you use to ensure that you have a great care, uh, long-term care component in your life, right? In other words, who can pay it? How are you earning the funds? You're not going broke in the other areas. And they say, oh yeah, here's the product. Here's the person. You, You follow me? Oh, I want to have great retirement income, and I never want to go backwards with the stock market. I want to make sure that my income lasts my lifetime. I want to make sure that when the market collapsed this last week, right, we had some really yucky days. Certainly in the last couple months, we've had some really bad you know, runs where people would have lost a lot of money. I want to go to somebody and say, hey, you are currently receiving income in retirement. Did you get a pay cut last week? Last month, when the market was negative, uh, uh, 2022, when most people lost 18, 19, 20%, did your income go down 18, 19? It didn't. Can you tell me what products you used to not go backwards on your income? You see, I did that for my shoulder. You can do that. And you should ask people like me, hey, can you give me two or three referrals? People, I'm somebody that needs X, beneficiaries. Okay, I'll give you two or three beneficiaries that receive the funds. I need some income. I want to be, I expect to have income for 10, 20, 30 years. Do you have anybody that's been receiving income for a lengthy period of time? Yes, I do. Here you go. Here's five or six of them. And that's the way that you decide what the right fit is for you. Okay, my address, my email address for your emails, Arif, A-R-I-F, A-R-I-F, at tfswealth.com. That's Arif at tfswealth.com. That's how you send your emails, your email questions. You can reach out to us at 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. 888-99-RETIRE. That's how you find out who we are. Maybe I, uh, maybe I can help you. We can do a Zoom meeting, an in-person meeting. It'd be my pleasure. It'd be my honor. After the break, folks, your emails. I'm Eric Hallaby. This is the Total Financial Hours. Thanks for being a part of the show. We'll be right back. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy, learn from 
Hey, welcome back. Thanks for staying with me. Eric Hallaby, Total Financial Hour, your place for news, talk, and information. We're talking about your family's finances, of course, getting out of debt, managing money. What's going on to the nation? How does it affect you, financially speaking and otherwise? Well, you send me your emails. And when you do that, I get a chance to read them and answer them. Sometimes I'll answer them directly to you. Sometimes if it fits with what we're talking about and if it makes a difference to others, I will answer it right here on the air. And I think that's a good service that you do for others. So thank you for reaching out. Thank you for doing that. It makes a big difference in the lives of other people who might be struggling with the same ideas or same questions. And it helps me to know what you're thinking as well. Send me your emails at arif, A-R-I-F, at tfswealth.com. So arif, A-R-I-F, at tfswealth, is in a lot of money, dot com. Okay, guys, uh, this is an interesting email. This is from Jim, and, I, and we're finding it more and more as people are uh, finding their lives different than they originally planned. Right? You know that? Things change. You you grow up, you get married, you think life is going to be a certain way. Well, things change, don't they? Well, let's talk about that here. Dear Arif, I'm a single dad. I'm 50 years old. I have two boys. I've always wanted to teach them about the proper use of money. Now, that includes the ability to earn enough money to save for their own future. Is there any advice you can give on teaching two teenagers the value of saving? I want them to learn from my personal accounts as well, and we are very open about those kind of topics in our family. I have $625,000 in my old company retirement account. It's called a 401k, and I would like to do something with it. My new company has a plan as well. I only have around $22,000 in it, and it's in various mutual funds. I plan on staying at this company for the rest of my career. That's about 20 more years. That means he's going to work. Let's say to taking a pause there for a second, guys. That means he's going to work for about uh, 20 years. That gives him about age 70, okay? So you'll see why that matters. I'm sure he probably did the math and why he, why he brings that up like that. All right, continuing with Jim. My goal is to have this account create income for me for as long as I, uh, as long as I live and when I start Social Security, both beginning at age 70. All right, let's see here. I have enough money for emergencies, around $90,000, sitting in my savings account. My goal is to move one more time and buy a different house. I'm not sure where or what, but I don't think I will live here through retirement. I don't know, should I keep this house or sell it? I should have enough money for the down payment when that time comes. Okay, let's answer Jim's email, guys. Let's take a look at what we have. So let's break it down. We got a couple of things. We have a a single dad of two teenage boys. His goal is to teach them. That's nice. His goal is to teach them financial well-being. Look, in the old days, I mean 100 years ago, not forever, just 100, 120 years ago, if you were a plumber, your son was expected to be, think about it, a plumber. So your son would start helping you. Hand me that tool. What tool? Well, this is called a wrench. This is called a screwdriver. On and on. Your son would learn. He would be with you after school, maybe during the summers, during the weekends, holidays. He would help. And eventually through, being, uh, through a program called an apprentice program, sometimes two or three years, then become a journeyman. 
meaning he or she has their own tools and can do their own work. Both things are required, the tools and the knowledge. So there used to be schools that were put in place for young people that wanted to do this but didn't grow up in a household where dad was a plumber. So they would go to school. They would become an apprentice. Somebody would hire them, often at a way lower wage than they would learn uh, that they would earn if they were a journeyman. And then over time, one, two, four years, whatever the plan was, whatever the, the, the structure was, they would become a journeyman. And along that way, they would acquire tools. And most journeymen would, through various ways, thanks for helping out with that tough job. It is your six-month anniversary. They would give the, that person a tool. You wouldn't buy them a chocolate cake. You would give them a tool. And that tool that you gave them was to allow them to fish for their own food someday. You get it? Give a man a fish, teach a man to fish. You can't teach a man to fish and then take away his fishing pole and say, well, go fish. So the teach a man to fish came with the second component, which is giving them the tools. So a good journeyman goes along and mentors young people and every once in a while might provide them a tool. Every once in a while might give them a hand-me-down or the, I have three of these so you can have one. Right? Okay. How does a dad do it today where kids are going to go on and do other things, other career choices, but how do you still give them the tools? Well, you do it because today we are all paid with money. Now, Jim, I'll get to how to teach them a little bit and uh, how to teach them in a little bit. But I think you need to clear, be clear on this. The rules have changed. It's no longer you just went to school and became really good at being a plumber. So when I needed plumbing done, I gave you a bushel of wheat. It doesn't work that way. I have to sell my wheat for dollars, get my dollars. You come over, you do plumbing work. You sell your plumbing for dollars. I give you those dollars. Then you go and get to buy your own goods and services, buy chickens and pay your electric bill and on and on. So that, that shift where the skill set made all the difference to your financial well-being, your status in life was how good you were at your career. Today, it is not about that. Today, you can be an amazing artist, an incredible painter. You can be an amazing Plumber, I mean, gosh darn it, you are somebody who really knows plumbing, but mismanage your money and you're broke. You're broke. Right? Is McDonald's in the hamburger business? No. They are in the real estate. They are in the franchise business. They sell supplies, straws and buns and cups to the other franchises. The franchisers are guaranteed consumers of the corporation of McDonald's products and services. The, the, the hamburger is just a, a tool to raise revenue so that McDonald's can collect, stay with me, the rent. Get it? So there are some hamburger chains that are in the hamburger business. That means they want the best quality hamburger. That's all they focus on. Now, there isn't one on every block. There's one. You know them. Or two. There was one I used to go to. I think it was called John's Hamburgers. It's in the San Fernando Valley. An amazing place. But there was one. Always a line if you didn't get there early. One. So I think you have to realize that some businesses, some people are in different businesses. It might look the same. 
oh, that's a hamburger restaurant, that's a hamburger restaurant. No, 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 one is in the real estate business, one is in the hamburger business. So ask yourself this, Jim. If you're going to teach your kids, what business do you want them to be in? I think you should teach them to manage their own money because today, that's how we are paid. Because today, everybody is paid in dollars. Whether you have a high school GED or a high school or or a college PhD, both of those people go to work and they are paid in dollars. Why is it that some people come to my office, they make $20,000 a month and they're broke? Arif, I don't know how to live. How do people live in the Santa Clarita Valley? How do people live in Southern California, Glendale, Burbank? How, how do they live in Whittier where, where they're only making 20000 a month? Arif, it doesn't make sense. I'm, I can barely get by. And there are other people that make six or 8000 a month and they're living wonderfully. They have a happy life. They travel. They live life comfortably. They do things. I, I'm not saying one is right and one is wrong. I'm saying one is in the hamburger business and one is in the money business. Right? So I want you to learn how to be in the money business. That means how to manage what you get so that you can live the life you want to live, so you can be what you want to be and, and create what you want to create. Okay, that's a very important component to this. All right, he's not going to, Jim is not going to start income until age 80. That means, uh, age 70 rather. That means I have 20 years to take and to build this account. All right. So what would I do? So for a lot of you, these company plans, these company retirement plans that you have at your job, you're allowed to borrow for any reason. I want you to only borrow for emergencies, but you can borrow for any reason half of what's in that company plan up to $50,000. So that means if you have $30,000 in your company retirement plan, you can borrow half or 15000 if you have $80,000 in your company plan and you want to or need to, you can borrow 40000 That's half. If you have 100, you can borrow 50. What if you have 300000 in that plan? Can't, um, yep, 50. That's the maximum. So it doesn't matter what you have after 100000 The most you can ever borrow is 50000 Period. All right. So what do I want you to do? Now, first of all, you have to still be working there. If you have a loan by an old company, you have to pay it back or it becomes a taxable event. So if you have an old company, you used to work there, you borrowed money two years ago, you left, you have to continue paying that back or whatever's left that you didn't pay back is now given to you in a 1099. Okay, what if you didn't borrow, you have an old company plan, now you're working somewhere else and you say, hey, I want to borrow that money. Sorry, you cannot borrow that money because you're not working at that company. So here's what we do. Jim, I'd like you to take about $100,000 and you roll over, you take $100,000 from your old retirement plan and roll it into the new retirement plan. So immediately the balance in the new retirement plan is $122,000. So you can borrow, if you want, half or 50000 so it's just kind of a backup plan. It's just an emergency plan. Maybe you don't need it. Maybe you do. Maybe it's part of what you use as a down payment on your next house someday because you can only borrow from a plan in which you are an active employee. 
So what do we do with the other 550,000? I would put that into an indexed annuity. Now, some of you are like, he always brings up indexed annuities. True, it's kind of like a mechanic that repairs BMWs is always going to tell you about, guess what, BMWs. But my main core component and the products we use are about safety first. So there's other things. There's CDs, there's money markets, there's savings accounts, there's credit unions, there's other products and services that we would recommend. But safety is the first priority, not losing money when the market goes backwards. So here's what I would do, Jim. By moving 550000 over, when you turn 70 years old, 20 years from now, that account should give you in the neighborhood of 80000 to $100,000 a year in income for the rest of your life. Now, 20 years from now, maybe it's worth half of that, but it, wouldn't it be nice to have a $50,000 a year pension someday? Yeah. Perfect. So that's the job of this money. The job of that 550000 is to give you a lifetime income stream. Now, you can start income payments from that annuity later on and then stop it or, or if you pass away, whatever's left goes to the kids or whoever you want it to go to. A lot of people are coming in lately and thinking that if they start income from an annuity, they give up the principal, meaning they give up the account and say, that's it. I had $100,000, I started income, I get nothing else. No, that is not true. Now, if you annuitize an annuity, then yes, it's true. But most of the time, you don't have to annuitize an annuity. In fact, I want to say one time I've done it in 27 years. <laughs> once, maybe. Maybe twice, but, I, but once I know for sure. I still have that lady come in, we still talk, and she's still collecting her $500 a month from that account. So she's done really well. And you can always separate out these accounts into those two different buckets later on down the road if you want to annuitize it. But right now, that's not what I would do. Right now, I would put 550000 into a 10-year account. You have 20 years. Let it keep growing even after the time that you select, 8, 7, 10 years, 9 years, whatever. It grows, it grows, it grows. And if the market is negative, it stays flat. What kind of fees do I pay, Arif? No fees. Ha, ha, ha. You don't work for free. You are right. We do not. The company's going to always make more than it gives you. Did you know that? I know it's not a shock, but, <laughs> but companies are in this business to make money. And that's how we are paid. So they're going to make more than they give you. That's how they survive. That's how they pay us. But we do not take fees from your account. If you put in 550000 Jim, tomorrow it still says, 550000 If they gave you a deposit bonus, then you might even have more money in that account. Six hundred, seven hundred thousand, but it's added to the principal. So let's recap. What's the job of this money? By moving over $100,000, it provides the opportunity for you to borrow from it later on, if you need it. If you don't, that's fine. But it does give you the ability to borrow from it. All right, now what about the literacy, the financial literacy for the kids? Guys, you have heard me recommend in the past a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. He was speaking once and said, uh, a lady came up to him afterwards and said, this is not a very well-written book. I'm an English teacher from XYZ College. And I was asked to come here and I just want to tell you, I read this book and it's not a very well-written book. He said, uh, ma'am, with all due respect, what does that cover say? 
it says number one best-selling author, number one best-selling book. Do you see that right there? Didn't said best. Didn't say best written book. It said best-selling book. If I wanted to write a best written book, I promise you it would have never sold. Not like this. And he was kind enough and then walked away. So I, I get it. Listen, you're going to have your own little commentary on it. That's fine. It changed my life. So much so that my wife and I started a scholarship fund for, that ran for many years. It was a four-year scholarship for strangers' kids to go to college. And that's important because it wasn't my kids. Too. They were babies still. But we did it because that book, in, our, in the honor of that book, and in my parents' honor, we wanted to start a scholarship fund to help those that might have needed just a little bit of help. And it was character-based. Someday maybe I'll tell you more of the details. I think it's a great idea. I heard it from somebody else. Somebody else did it for their sister who had passed away from leukemia. And I was still broke and still learning and still growing in financial world. And I remember hearing about it. And I said, one day I want to do something like that. That's a great idea. So we modified it a little bit and we started it based on, on his idea. So I thought that was great. So I want you to read, uh, I want the kids to read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Okay, not once, but probably twice because it took me a couple times to get it. It changed my financial life, really increased our income and did a very big number on the way I think. And here's the other part. The kids need to start a small business. Just like you guys need to start a small business. Oh, Eric, I'm retired. I'm done. Okay, may I tell you something? I never want you to, quote, be done. I always want you to have a small business. Something somewhere, it might be your real estate business, it might be a handcraft business, whatever it is that you are doing, I need it to be a small business. And you meet with your CPA and your tax advisors and you talk to them and here's why. Because the whole idea about wealth in America and success is built around the tax code. And the tax code is written by small business owners. And small business owners wrote, rule the world, financially speaking, Okay, because who writes the who, who uh, writes the rules? Rich or poor people? Yeah, and they create great benefits if you do it correctly. So that's what I need you to do. I need you to understand that rule. I need you to understand how the system works, and I want the kids to know what's possible. Look, Jim, you can teach them some things. That's what you're good at, of course. Even some, even a lot of things. But you work for a company. So teaching the kids entrepreneurship is probably not your strength. Right? Teaching them to be their own boss, probably not your thing. Save a million dollars before you're 40 years old, probably not your thing. But you can guide with values and with character and guidelines, right? You can guide and, and direct them in the, dire in the direction where you can at least build the curiosity and build the right thinking. So make sure they're reading books by Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the other, uh, by Robert Kiyosaki. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a great beginning. There's other books that are specifically designed for kids. You decide you know, what the uh, maturity level and intellectual level of your children are. There's a, there's a kid's Rich Dad, Poor Dad version too. Uh, but I think it, it goes more towards the age of eh, 12 or something, 10 or 12 years old, maybe 8 or 12. Um, 
You just decide what their intellectual ability is. Okay, here's the other thing I want you to do. Remember I told you to start a small business. I want them to be okay with failing. So you have to look back the way you've raised them and see if you've given them permission to fail at something. Because if you have and you've given permission to, for them to quit something, then they understand that their skill set and their ability is different than the other child and it's different than yours and it's different than their best friend down the street. And by doing that, they get a chance to try. They can go this way, nope, this way, yes, this way, nope, this way, yeah, up, oh, got it. Because they might start a small business in one area, right? Uh, making something that that is going to work for, uh, I'll give you a good example. I had a, a friend who was a, fly fisherman and he was a kid he was a high school kid and he would make these tie he tie these flies and people were paying a hundred two hundred dollars for these flies they were amazing and they worked very well however it was he figured it out he used whatever material and he used that money ready follow me he loved it he was good enough he used that money to pay for flying lessons then he used the flying lessons and he did something pretty amazing. He joined the U.S. Air Force. And in the U.S. Air Force, he became a fighter pilot. Now, after college, joining the Air Force, becoming a fighter pilot, and uh, guess what? He now fly fishes and ties flies and sells them now and again. And he's a pilot. I won't tell you where he flies because you might ultimately figure it out. But you see how you can use your passion to fuel another passion. He may not decide I'm going to ever be the best fly fisherman in the history of mankind, but I can tie flies good enough to save money to do something else. Right. So all of that to say, give them permission to fail. Give them permission to change their mind. Give them permission to stop, back up, and go forward and try a different direction. And men, I want you to treat your daughters the same. Right? Women, I want you to treat your daughters the same. I don't want you to put your sons down as if they're, they're especially if they're white, some of you woke women. Right? The, the school boards are being ruined by woke women. Take a look at, at the ladies. Uh, take a look at the people in these transgender, crazy strip club uh, things they call uh, teaching with a transgender, transvestite, whatever they call them. Right? Look at your child in there. Who do you think is in there? A strong man who's a construction worker? A man who's an attorney, a business leader? Um, no. No, a woman who is guilty about whatever. Single mom usually, usually divorced usually hates men. <laughs> I mean, this is all a stereotype. I know it, but just check it out and see. And they take the innocence of their poor child and they put them in this crazy room. So men and women, give your daughters permission to be strong. Give them permission to succeed and to fail. And then they open up their small business and then surprise, they're going to take a chance. They'll start down one road, make a mistake, back up, try again. Before you know it, a fly fisherman turns into a pilot or a kid that used to do things for his skateboard, another one of our clients, later became one of the top manufacturers in aerospace. 
of the particular part that he, he makes. Makes seven figures a year. And he started doing things in his garage for skateboards, which led him to here, which led him to there, which led him to manufacturing, okay? So do you see what I'm saying? Stay with me after the break. I have your emails. I'm Arif Hallaby. Triple eight ninety nine retire. That's eight 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 nine nine seven three eight four seven. Stay with me. A very interesting, a bit of a sad email, but I have some hope when we come back. I'm Eric Hallaby. We'll be right back. Security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now, higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Hallaby. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for staying with me. Arab Hallaby, the total financial hour, your place for news, talk, and information. AM870, the answer. Thanks for being part of the show. I appreciate it when you send in your emails as well. Arif at TFSWealth.com. Arif, A-R-I-F, at TFSWealth.com. And uh, you guys had a lot of great things to say about our uh, recent interview with uh, Dr. Jeffrey Tipton. So I appreciate that. It was a great experience to interview him and be a part, have him be a part of the show a few weeks back. So, so thanks for being a part of the show, uh, listening and, and sending in your comments. All right. This is, uh, I hesitated bringing this to you because it's it's a little sad. And um, so I want to preface it knowing that you know it's sad and, and I know it is uh, because it's a real person, right? These are real people. And uh, I think you have to be okay with that, that, that real people suffer and real people have pain and real people are scared financially. So it's okay to be scared financially. It's okay to be unsure. Right, a lot of people go through that part of their lives, and and that's that's part of life. What I don't want you to do is to be in a sinking boat, and instead of trying to repair the holes or bail out the the water, some of you just keep putting holes in the boat. I say, you know, right? The old adage: when you're in a hole, stop digging. You know, don't make things worse. You know, I can give you a bunch of little stories that people have said over the years to make it clear to you. But the the bottom line is, if you're in a bad situation financially, you stop the things that are leading to the, wait for it, the bad situation. Okay, so kind of keep that in mind when we go through this next email. I don't want you to make dumb decisions on top of dumb decisions because you're the one that's going to suffer at the end. All right. This is from Jen. Dear Arif, I've been married 42 years, and I have just found out that my husband has been a phony all of these years. He lied about his faith, he lied about our finances, and he lied about his day-to-day activities. I'm unsure how to begin the rest of my life, financially speaking. It has been about a year, and the settlement I just received is about $780,000. That includes the money from the sale of the house and the disbursement of our retirement accounts. I have my three children, but I do not want to live with any of them. They have all offered. They're all good people. 
but they have their own lives. And I want to try to do this on my own. Should I buy or rent, continue to rent? I'm currently 63 years old and I'm scared about retirement. My social security income is going to be around $2,800, but at the age of 70. I currently earn about $60,000 a year and my company has a retirement plan called a 401k. I think I'm going to have to work at least until age 70. And I know my future is going to be very different than what I thought it was going to be just a few years ago. Thank you in advance for your advice. I hope you can help. All right, guys. That's Jen. I told you it was going to be a little sad, huh? Sorry about that. But there's hope. And I'll tell you why there's hope. There's hope for a few reasons. There's hope because there's answers to this dilemma. But I want to start by clarifying some of this because some of you might find yourself in this situation or soon will find yourself in this situation. I'm not going to go into the reasons that uh, he was a phony about his faith or or a phony or his day-to-day activities. That's that's her own personal things. Uh, You're certainly privileged to allow your own uh, imagination to run wild, but he was just a dishonest person apparently. Uh, and also you're going to say this, and I'm, I'm not going to blame you because I'm going to think the same thing. 42 years is a long time to play cover up because somewhere in there, she must have known something or even a lot of things. Sometimes ladies, you guys think you can change him, right? I'm going to change him. He's a good man. Underneath all of that, he's a good man underneath this. And, and if you really got to know him and when he wasn't drinking and when he wasn't this and when he wasn't that, so, so. There's all sorts of ways and things that people do to cover up, to hide, to kind of create stories, but we're not going to talk about that. I want to talk instead about the financial part of it, because I think part of this is important for you and for me to understand. And it's this. She's going to have to work till age 70. There is no question about that. And maybe beyond. Because currently she earns 60000 a year, which means she can at least make 60000 Now maybe, maybe she's pulling money out of that 780 to live on each year, but I'm not, she didn't indicate that. So, so let's say she needs $60,000 a year to live on. That's 5000 a month. Social security is 2800 a month. Well, we need the other monies. What are we going to do with that? We're going to need another $2,200 a month to come from somewhere. That's going to be part of the retirement account, isn't it? So I want to be able to set that aside. We're going to have to let it grow. Now, you guys, let's let's be clear on a couple of things. You might have heard of something called a qualified domestic relations order, QDRO, also known as a quadro. All right, a quadro comes into play for example, when you have a pension plan or a 401k where the assets are divided, you get 200000 I get 100 We get 50-50, we get 70-30. Whatever it is, and it's divided, those dollars that are in there that are divided, okay, pretty important, those dollars that are divided need to be approved by a judge or you will be taxed on it. 
need to be approved by a judge or you're going to get slammed on it in taxes and and in in, uh, penalties and stuff. So I don't want you to make that mistake. Right? People do, and it's it's not a small mistake. So make sure you do it properly. Make sure it goes from company to company. A good financial professional knows how to complete these forms properly, knows how to notify companies, uh, knows how to have a, a professional quadro. Sometimes they're paralegals. Uh, rarely are they law offices. Many of you will have an attorney do your quadro, but your attorney does not do it. I've never seen it anyway. They hire a service who only does quadros. So you can go to the company, the service, you know, by yourself. We know a couple, any financial professional that is worth their salt knows one or two or three, four good quadro firms. So if you hire, if you tell your attorney to do it and they're going to charge you for it, they add more to the fee. So they take some and you take some. What does a normal quadro cost? Probably less than $750 or so. I know you're going to say, Eric, that's crazy because my attorney just charged me $2,000. I just told you the attorney's going to take a piece on the top of it for doing nothing, just passing it on to the quadro company. So there's a lot of good quadro companies. Do your research and make sure you can go directly to them. It will save you well, at least $1,000, $2,000 or more per quadro. You know, if he worked at Disney and then Boeing and all of those organizations need a quadro. So there's going to be multiple ones. But if you're just doing it from an IRA, an individual retirement account, where you're separating my money, your money, right? You keep this one, I keep that one. You keep this one, I keep that one. Then you're not going to need a quadro because a quadro has in it a whole series of uh, instructions, legal instructions that allow the company that's releasing the funds to to do it the right way and not get in trouble because they can they can get in trouble if they do it wrong, right? So it passes the buck. Everything is about finding somebody else to blame for it, right? That's what it's about. So that's important. All right, keep that in mind. you should be doing a couple of things. Number one, ask yourself this. When I leave the marriage, if I leave the marriage, how do I have to plan financially to not be homeless? Now, according to uh, many layers of statistics, you need to ask yourself this. Why is it that the number one cause for poverty is a single mother having a child out of wedlock, right? A, a woman having a child, a teenager especially, a young woman having a child out of wedlock. That seems to be the reason that moves people into poverty. What is another reason? Well, this is my experience, 27 years, I'll tell you. Simple enough, just my observations, my experience. It's women that divorce later on in life. Kids are gone, good or bad relationship with them, right? Because usually one or two kids, three kids, one of them takes my side, two his side, her side, his side, our side. And the kids get involved. Now you don't have the support. You can't see your grandchildren. So men or women, but it seems to be today because I'm dealing with a lot of ladies in their 60s and 70s. When the divorce comes, if it comes... You have to protect yourself. So what I need you to do 
even if you're in a yucky marriage and you're planning on leaving soon, get your skills set up. Go back to school. Get that license again. You had a nursing license. Go back and get it. Renew things. Get that uh, certification. Whatever it is, start preparing financially so that if you have to leave, you're not going to go and work for minimum wage at a burger place. Okay? I want you to get some skill set. I know it's scary. Take classes online. Do it on your cell phone. Do it in the middle of the day. Do it at night. You take classes. You get your certification. You go back to school. Become something that somebody says, I'm willing to pay her $25, $35, $55 an hour. You have a lot of experience. My gosh, you have a lot of skill set. And people forget. So here's what I need you to do. I'd like you to rent until you know where you want to live. Right? Which child is going to be on your side? Which grandchildren need you the most? What area do you want to live? Do you still want to live in the same neighborhood that you used to live in for so many years? Is your church or your organization still an important part of your life? Or is it time to find a different place to worship? You notice I didn't say none, nothing, or something. No, no, no. It's something or something. Here or there. Not here or nowhere. Because you need a supportive family, church family. You need that organizational structure of people that love and can uh, care for you unconditionally. Okay? That's important. And Jen, a big part of this is taking over your own destiny, financially speaking. I know it's scary to you. I know he always handled it because that's going to be the case for a lot of people. So you come in and you see somebody like myself or others. There's a lot of good people out there. It's not just us who will take the time to sit down with you and go over. Here's your account. Even if we're not making any money, right? That's very important. You realize that. Even if we are not being paid, we have an obligation as a financial profession to spend time with you. I don't mean six hours on a Sunday. No, no. I mean spend time to guide and direct, to educate, to point out. So if we can do that, that's what we do. We find a, you know, find a, a an easy book to read to start out. right? So here's where I'm going with this. When you max out your 401k, that's going to reduce your paycheck. Uh-oh, what do I do? Well, very important. By sending some of that money to the future, I want you to do what's called a Roth, R-O-T-H, a Roth 401k. Now, your employer is going to do a match, it sounds like. And if they do match... They, they do put money in, you put money in, they put money in. Their money has to be considered pre-tax, traditional. So, employer's money is a traditional 401k. That means you pay the tax later on. I want your contribution to be a Roth, R-O-T-H. That money goes in, and here's why that's important. Because when the Roth goes in, you will never pay taxes later on. And because your Social Security is not completely subject to income tax, only as a portion of it is later on at age 70, you can make a little less money and still live a very comfortable way. Right? In fact, you could probably live better on less money when you retire because you're not going to pay payroll tax. Because we're going to have some money come from the Roth. 
So by managing that a little bit, it's, it's great. It gives you that control. So what we would do is kind of teach you a little bit. Here's the difference between a Roth and a traditional. Here's what, is a, here, here's what a mutual fund is. Here's how you, you find out, you know, where do you want to invest? What does that look like? You do some of that research. The company that you work for will provide usually a website or, or an app on your phone, and you can get in there and play with that a little bit. And Jen, this is the big picture, ready? That $780,000 might seem like a lot of money, and I know you're going to be scared. A lot of people are. But we need to separate that into a couple of different buckets, right? One of those, post-tax money, probably what you received from the house. That means post-tax money, it's already been taxed, that sits off to one side. The other money is going to be the retirement money. Pre-tax means you haven't paid taxes on it yet. When you take it out, you will. Okay, maybe we do, actually maybe similar to what the last gentleman did. We'll take a portion of that and put that in your employer plan. Fifty, maybe a hundred thousand dollars, depending on how much of the seven eighty is pre-tax money. Put it into your four hundred one k. Here's why: because later on, if you need to access it and borrow it without creating a taxable event, then we can borrow up to fifty thousand dollars, fifty percent or fifty thousand, whatever is lower. So you put money into your own 401k at work, you add money to it, you make sure all your eggs aren't in one basket, as they say, so if you trip and fall, you don't lose everything. Okay, very important. And then the other part of it is the, the money that comes from the sale of the house, that money's already been taxed. So we'll set it aside. We want emergency dollars in case there's an emergency. Maybe we'll buy a indexed universal life insurance policy that has a long-term care feature. So if you're sick, if later on in life you need help, you need care, you can hire somebody because your concern is to not be a burden to the children. I get it. Then at least you can pay for your own care or hire your own grandchild. Okay, so there's a, there's a way or, or have pay your daughter when she comes to help or something, right? You have the, the freedom. So I might take a portion, maybe 100000 something like that, Put that off into an index universal life, maybe buy a $150,000, $250,000 policy. That would give you the freedom on that side. And then once you rent for a year or two and decide what side of town you want to live, even if you want to live in this area still, right? There's, where you live is, is a large enough community where you're not going to run into him if he stays. Right, you can live on the other side of town. I, I know your area well. And besides that, since he's the uh, he's the dingbat in the story, the same friends that you have are probably going to want to be your friend and be around you, and less likely to be around him. Just the way it goes. And if that's the case, well, listen, you can go and find many places to go, many places to live many places to uh, enjoy life and kind of create, if you will, a whole new you. 63 is not, you know, super young, but it isn't old. I mean, I get it, but you've got plenty of time to, to figure out what works for you. Plenty of time to figure out what matters to you. 
and you and your family can lay out the next part of your story. Here's a couple of uh, pointers. Number one, our clients are telling us single story. Buy that last home someplace you want to live. Think single story. All right. Three bedroom, two bath is a good start. Why? Because you might have room for grandchildren. You might need a home office. You might want a little home gym, whatever it might be. So at least a three bedroom so that you can have one of those places as a spare bedroom for grandchildren to come and visit. Kind of create a, a, a whole new tradition, whole new story to your life. That's important. Uh, and then the last thing is, if you ever decide to remarry, I know that's the last thing on your mind, but some of you ladies uh, and gentlemen are in different places. Consider a prenuptial agreement. It isn't just for the rich and famous. It isn't just for the fancy football players, baseball player, uh, Hollywood uh, celebrity wife, right? That kind of thing. It, it, it's for anybody. Anybody that has their own wealth, that wants to protect it, and wants to give it to the next generation, their next generation. Because here's what happens. If you don't build your own trust and have your own uh, prenuptial agreement, and you're married, and you pass away, your money goes to your husband. And then your husband gives it to his new wife, <laughs> or his kids, or his grandkids, from his side of the family. And all the money that you earned or that you saved or that you received in this inheritance or in this, uh, in this settlement, rather, all of this goes away and your children and grandchildren from your side of the family don't get anything. So we want to protect that. So a prenuptial agreement, a really straightforward. Now, many of you ladies, I, I love it. They, I am never going to marry again. I, I'll, I'll have a boyfriend. I'll do all those kind of things, but I will never marry again. Okay, I get it. You will. You will. <laughs> I know you say never, 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 and maybe you're right. But I will tell you that the further you get away from the yuckiness, the more you find out who you are. Our clients come in. I had a gentleman the other day, 77 years old. And he comes into the office and says, Arif, you wouldn't believe it. I'm married. I said, what? How long have you been dating? He said, about eight months. I said, wow, that, that seems fast. He goes, Eric, I don't have a lot of time. <laughs> I said, okay. And he was married for a long time. And she passed away from an illness. And, and he said, I'm just never going to marry again. I, I can't. She was the love of my life. It was everything I could. He cried every time he th talked to her. And it was years that she had passed. And he still got emotional. And yet, for whatever reason, this lady comes along and melts his heart. So I do want you to know that it's nice that you say that. I'm glad that you do have something that you're solid about at the moment. But just be okay. Just be okay to be open later on. And if you're not, that's fine. But if you do, prenuptial agreement. Protect your money. Put the beneficiaries on your accounts currently who you want them to be. Your children, for example, Jen. Maybe you need a living trust. Now, if you don't own real estate, you probably don't need a living trust. But you are going to need parts of a living trust, which would be the health care directive. Right? A medical care directive that tells what medical conditions, uh, what they can do, what kind of treatment, on and on. Those things are very important. 
right? And it can be laid out pretty clearly inside of the healthcare directive, but you need a power of attorney. Who can pay the bills when you're incapacitated? Who pays the bills, cashes the check, and on and on. All right, those are important parts. Now, you can do it all inside of a trust, make it simple. But a living trust, a revocable living trust, is mandatory if you have real estate. Even a piece of land in Mojave, right? A $5,000 acre that you bought because that was going to be the next Palm Springs. Remember? <laughs> Remember when you did that? Yeah. Or you have an apartment building or a single family home. It doesn't matter. You need a living trust, all right? Don't forget that, please. And you can get them for $3,000, $3,500 maximum unless if you got something crazy. I've never seen them legitimately for more than that unless you have something very unique. So please keep that in mind. We have some great attorneys we can recommend and refer you to at least talk to and see if they are a right fit for you. Use your judgment. All right. When we come back next week, your place for news, talk, and information, send me your emails, arif at tfswealth.com. That's arif, A-R-I-F, at tfswealth.com. 888-99-RETIRE. That's how you get a hold of us. If I can help you with really reasonable, reliable retirement income, Say that fast. <laughs> Thanks for being part of the show. I'm Eric Hallaby. Triple Eight Ninety Nine Retire. You have a wonderful week. Life you dream. Learn about financial power. The total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Hallaby. Learn about financial power. The total financial hour. Now Arab has a plan for me. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.